0: Chapter Fourteen of the Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins by Robert Paultic. Chapter Fourteen. I passed the summer though I had never yet seen the sun's body, very much to my satisfaction, partly in the work I have been describing, for I had taken two more of the beast-fish, and had a great quantity of oil from them, partly in building me a chimney in my antechamber of mud and earth, burnt on my own hearth into a sort of brick, in making a window at one end of the above-said chamber, to let in what little light would come through the trees when I did not choose to open my door in moulding an earthen lamp for my oil, and, finally, in providing and laying in stores, fresh and salt, for I had now cured and dried many more fish, against winter. These, I say, were my summer employments at home, intermixed with many agreeable excursions. But now the winter coming on, and the days growing very short, or, indeed, there being no day properly speaking, but a kind of twilight, i kept mostly in my habitation though not so much as i had done the winter before when i had no light within doors and slept or at least lay still great part of my time for now my lamp was never out i also turned two of my beast fish skins into a rug to cover my bed and the third into a cushion which i always sat upon and a very soft and warm cushion it made All this together rendered my life very easy, yea, even comfortable. An indifferent person would now be apt to ask, What would this man desire more than he had? To this I answer that I was contented while my condition was such as I have been describing. But a little while after the darkness or twilight came on, I frequently heard the voices again, sometimes a few only at a time, as it seemed, and then again in great numbers. This threw me into new fears, and I became as uneasy as ever, even to the degree of growing quite melancholy, though otherwise I never received the least injury from anything. I foolishly attempted several times, by looking out of my window, to discover what these odd sounds proceeded from, though I knew it was too dark to see anything there i was now fully convinced by a more deliberate attention to them that they could not be uttered by the beast-fish as i had afore conjectured but only by beings capable of articulate speech but then what or where they were it galled me to be ignorant of at length one night or day i cannot say which hearing the voices very distinctly and praying very earnestly to be either delivered from the uncertainty they had put me under or to have them removed from me, I took courage, and, arming myself with gun, pistols, and cutlass, I went out of my grotto and crept down the wood. I then heard them plainer than before, and was able to judge from what point of the compass they proceeded. Hereupon I went forward towards the sound, till I came to the verge of the wood, where I could see the lake very well by the dazzle of the water. Thereon, as I thought, I beheld a fleet of boats, covering a large compass, and not far from the bridge. I was shocked, hereat, beyond expression. I could not conceive where they came from, or whither they would go. But suppose there must be some other passage to the lake than I had found in my voyage through the cavern, and that for certain they came that way, and from some place of which as yet I had no manner of knowledge. Whilst I was entertaining myself with this speculation— I heard the people in the boats laughing and talking very merrily, though I was too distant to distinguish the words. I discerned soon after all the boats, as I still supposed them, draw up and push for the bridge. Presently after, though I was sure no boat entered the arch, I saw a multitude of people on the opposite shore, all marching towards the bridge. And what was the strangest of all, there was not the least sign of a boat now left upon the whole lake. I then was in a greater consternation than before, but was still much more so when I saw the whole posse of people, that as I have just said were marching towards the bridge, coming over it to my side of the lake. At this my heart failed, and I was just going to run to my grotto for shelter. But taking one look more, I plainly discovered that the people, leaping one after another from the top of the bridge, as if into the water and then rising again, flew in a long train over the lake, the lengthways of it, quite out of my sight, laughing, hallooing, and sporting together, so that, looking back again to the bridge and on the lake, I could neither see person, nor boat, nor anything else, nor hear the least noise or stir afterwards for that time. I returned to my grotto brimful of this amazing adventure— bemoaning my misfortune, in being at a place where I was like to remain ignorant of what was doing about me. For, says I, if I am in a land of spirits, as now I have little room to doubt, there is no guarding against them. I am never safe, even in my grotto, for that can be no security against such beings as can sail on the water in no boats, and fly in the air on no wings, as the case now appears to me who can be here and there, and wherever they please. What a miserable state, I say, am I fallen to. I should have been glad to have had human converse, and to have found inhabitants in this place. But there being none, as I supposed hitherto, I contented myself with thinking that I was at least safe from all those evils mankind in society are obnoxious to. But now, what may be the consequence of the next hour, I know not nay i am not able to say but whilst i speak and show my discontent they may at a distance conceive my thoughts and be hatching revenge against me for my dislike of them the pressure of my spirits inclining me to repose i laid me down but could get no rest nor could all my most serious thoughts even of the almighty providence give me relief under my present anxiety and all this was only from my state of uncertainty concerning the reality of what i had heard and seen and from the earnestness with which i coveted a satisfactory knowledge of those beings who had just taken their flight from me i really believe the fiercest wild beast or the most savage of mankind that had met me and put me upon my defence would not have given me half the trouble that then lay upon me and the more for that I had no seeming possibility of ever being rid of my apprehensions. So, finding I could not sleep, I got up again. But as I could not fly from myself, all the art I could use with myself was but in vain to obtain me any quiet. In the height of my distress, I had recourse to prayer with no small benefit, begging that if it pleased not the almighty power to remove the object of my fears, At least to resolve my doubts about them, and to render them rather helpful than hurtful to me. I hereupon, as I always did on such occasions, found myself much more placid and easy, and began to hope the best till I had almost persuaded myself that I was out of danger, and then laying myself down, I rested very sweetly till I was awakened by the impulse of the following dream. Methought I was in Cornwall at my wife's aunt's, and inquiring after her and my children, the old gentlewoman informed me both my wife and children had been dead some time, and that my wife, before her departure, desired her, that is, her aunt, immediately upon my arrival, to tell me she was only gone to the lake, where I should be sure to see her, and be happy with her ever after. I then, as I fancied, ran to the lake to find her. In my passage, she stopped me, crying, Whither so fast, Peter? I am your wife, your Patty." Methought I did not know her, she was so altered. But observing her voice and looking more wistfully at her, she appeared to me as the most beautiful creature I ever beheld. I then went to seize her in my arms, but the hurry of my spirits awakened me. When I got up, I kept at home, not caring even to look out at my door. My dream ran strangely in my head, and I had now nothing but Patty in my mind. Oh, cries I, how happy could I be with her, though I had only her in this solitude. Oh, that this was but a reality and not a dream. And indeed, though it was but a dream, I could scarce refrain from running to the lake to meet my Patty. But then I checked my folly, and reasoned myself into some degree of temper again. However, I could not forbear crying out, What? Nobody to converse with? Nobody to assist, comfort, or counsel me? This is a melancholy situation, indeed. Thus I ran on, lamenting, till I was almost weary, when, on a sudden, I again heard the voices. Hark! says I. Here they come again. Well, I am now resolved to face them, come life, come death. It is not to be alone, I thus dread, but to have company about me, and not know who or what, is death to me worse than I can suffer from them, be they who or what they will. During my soliloquy the voices increased, and then, by degrees, diminished as usual. But I had scarce got my gun in my hand, to pursue my resolution of showing myself to those who uttered them, when I felt such a thump upon the roof of my antechamber as shook the whole fabric and set me all over into a tremor. I then heard a sort of shriek and a rustle near the door of my apartment, all which, together, seemed very terrible. But I, having before determined to see what and who it was, resolutely opened my door and leaped out. I saw nobody— All was quite silent, and nothing that I could perceive but my own fears a-moving. I went then softly to the corner of the building, and there looking down by the glimmer of my lamp which stood in the window, I saw something in human shape lying at my feet. I gave the word, "'Who is there?' Still no one answered. My heart was ready to force a way through my side. I was for a while fixed to the earth like a statue— At length, recovering, I stepped in, fetched my lamp, and returning saw the very beautiful face my patty appeared under in my dream, and, not considering that it was only a dream, I verily thought I had my patty before me. But she seemed to be stone dead. Upon viewing her other parts, for I had never yet removed my eyes from her face, I found she had a sort of brown chaplet, like lace, round her head. "'under and about which her hair was tucked up and twined. "'And she seemed to me to be clothed in a thin, hair-coloured silk garment, "'which, upon trying to raise her, I found to be quite warm, "'and therefore hoped there was life in the body it contained. "'I then took her into my arms, and, treading a step backwards with her, "'I put out my lamp. "'However, having her in my arms, "'I conveyed her through the doorway in the dark into my grotto.' HERE I LAID HER UPON MY BED, AND THEN RAN OUT FOR MY LAMP. THIS, THINKS I, IS AN AMAZING ADVENTURE. HOW COULD PATTY COME HERE, AND DRESSED IN SILK AND WHALEBONE, TOO? SURE THAT IS NOT THE reigning FASHION IN ENGLAND NOW, BUT MY DREAM SAID SHE WAS DEAD. WHY TRULY, SAYS I, SO SHE SEEMS TO BE, BUT BE IT SO, SHE IS WARM. Whether this is the place for persons to inhabit after death or not, I can't tell, for I see there are people here, though I don't know them. But, be it as it will, she feels as flesh and blood, and if I can but bring her to stir and act again as my wife, what matters it to me what she is? It will be a great blessing and comfort to me, for she never would have come to this very spot but for my good.' Top full of these thoughts, I re-entered my grotto, shut my door, and lighted my lamp. When going to my patty, as I delighted to fancy her, I thought I saw her eyes stir a little. I then set the lamp farther off, for fear of offending them if she should look up, and warming the last glass I had reserved of my Madeira, I carried it to her, but she never stirred. I now supposed the fall had absolutely killed her, and was prodigiously grieved. When, laying my hand on her breast, I perceived the fountain of life had some motion. This gave me infinite pleasure. So, not despairing, I dipped my finger in the wine, and moistened her lips with it two or three times, and I imagined they opened a little. Upon this I bethought me, and, taking a teaspoon, I gently poured a few drops of the wine, by that means, into her mouth, finding she swallowed it, I poured in another spoonful, and another, till I brought her to herself so well as to be able to sit up. All this I did by a glimmering light, which the lamp afforded from a distant part of the room, where I had placed it, as I have said, out of her sight. I then spoke to her, and asked diverse questions, as if she had really been patty, and understood me in return of which she uttered a language I had no idea of, though in the most musical tone and with the sweetest accent I ever heard. It grieved me I could not understand her. However, thinking she might like to be on her feet, I went to lift her off the bed, when she felt to my touch, in the oddest manner imaginable. For while in one respect it was as though she had been cased up in whalebone, it was, at the same time, "'as soft and warm as if she had been naked. "'I then took her in my arms and carried her into my antechamber again, "'where I would fain have entered into conversation, "'but found she and I could make nothing of it together, "'unless we could understand one another's speech. "'It is very strange, my dream should have prepossessed me so, of Patty, "'and of the alteration of her countenance, "'that I could by no means persuade myself the person I had with me was not she.' though, upon a deliberate comparison, Patty, as pleasing as she always was to my taste, would no more come up to this fair creature than a coarse ale-wife would to Venus herself. You may imagine we stared heartily at each other, and I doubted not, but she wondered as much as I, by what means we came so near each other. I offered her everything in my grotto which I thought might please her, some of which she gratefully received as appeared by her looks and behaviour. But she avoided my lamp, and always placed her back toward it. I, observing that, and ascribing it to her modesty in my company, let her have her will, and took care to set it in such a position myself as seemed agreeable to her, though it deprived me of a prospect I very much admired. After we had sat a good while now and then, I may say, chattering to one another, she got up and took a turn or two about the room. When I saw her in that attitude, her grace and motion perfectly charmed me, and her shape was incomparable. But the strangeness of her dress put me to my trumps to conceive either what it was or how it was put on. Well, we supped together, and I set the best of everything I had before her. Nor could either of us forbear speaking in our own tongue Though we were sensible, neither of us understood the other. After supper, I gave her some of my cordials, for which she showed great tokens of thankfulness, and often, in her way, by signs and gestures, which were very far from being insignificant, expressed her gratitude for my kindness. When supper had been some time over, I showed her my bed and made signs for her to go to it, but she seemed very shy of that, Till I showed her where I meant to lie myself, by pointing to myself, then to that, and again pointing to her and to my bed. When at length I had made this matter intelligible to her, she lay down very composedly, and after I had taken care of my fire and set the things I had been using for supper in their places, I laid myself down too, for I could have no suspicious thoughts or fear of danger from a form so excellent. I treated her for some time with all the respect imaginable, and never suffered her to do the least part of my work. It was very inconvenient to both of us, only to know each other's meaning by signs. But I could not be otherwise than pleased to see that she endeavoured all in her power to learn to talk like me. Indeed, I was not behindhand with her in that respect, striving all I could to imitate her. What I all the while wondered at was— she never showed the least disquiet at her confinement for i kept my door shut at first through fear of losing her thinking she would have taken an opportunity to run away from me for little did i then think she could fly End of chapter fourteen recording by james k white chula vista